Today on Blue 58, the Packers took the Bears apart, but what did we really learn about the team? Who cares? Beating the Bears is always awesome. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast at thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink. Happy to be with you here after a 41-25 to win over the Chicago Bears. Look, coming into this game, I said a loss would be like a season-redefining sort of thing. This is almost the exact opposite of that. Look, a win over the 5-5 five and five Chicago Bears is not going to define your season for the better. But, but, getting your 100th win against your biggest, most historic rival and pretty much ending their season is a nice feather to have in your cap. Ultimately, the real considerations for this game are outside of the four lines on Lambeau Field. The painted lines there are what matters when you're watching on TV. But what really matters as far as the Packers are concerned is that they, at the very least, keep pace and put put themselves in position to take over sole possession of the number two seed in the NFC. And they are still within reach of that number one spot. But tonight, tonight, the Packers beat the Bears, and they did it convincingly. Despite Corey Lindsley going out with an injury, despite this great Bears defense, the Packers were not phased at all. They threw the ball well. They ran the ball well. They scored 41 points. They did what they had to do, and they came out with their eighth win of the season. Let's talk about three good things that happened in this game. First, that offensive execution. You may have heard that the Bears' run defense is pretty good. You may also have heard that they are a little bit susceptible to giving up chunk plays in the run game. And give up chunk plays is what they did, especially with Akeem Hicks on the sideline. Akeem Hicks is a big part of the Bears' defense, and having him not on the field meant the Packers had all kinds of real estate in the middle to work with and work with it they did. Aaron Jones was effective running up the middle. Jamal Williams was effective running up the middle. And ultimately, the Packers moved the ball pretty much however they liked. Between just Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams, and they had a few other carries in there, with Aaron Rodgers running a couple times, Equinemius St. Brown carrying once, Tim Boyle with his kneel downs at the end. The Packers, just between Jones and Williams, ran 34 times for 163 yards. Neither of them had a carry longer than 17 yards. That is consistent, effective work on the ground. And there's not a lot you can find fault with there. In fact, the only thing that you might find fault with in the Packers' offense tonight is that Aaron Rodgers went out for what ended up being the last drive. It was a little bit confusing to see him out there, and I didn't understand it really at all. But... If that's what Matt LaFleur wants to do, that's what he's going to do. And like everything else, the Bears just couldn't stop it. Second thing I really liked out of this game was the the defense just throttling the Bears. Sure, they give up the big run to David Montgomery on the Bears' first drive, but other than that, they just erased the Bears' offense until it was too late for it to matter at all. The pass rush was especially fun to watch tonight. 
bull rush after bull rush after bull rush. Not a lot of fancy stuff up front, but just getting to the quarterback by going straight through the offensive line. On Preston Smith's touchdown fumble recovery, the most exciting part of the play was Rashawn Gary forklifting the Bears' right tackle right back into Mitchell Trubisky's lap. That forced Trubisky to step up. That allowed Zedaria Smith to get the sack and Preston Smith to pick up the fumble and run the ball in for a touchdown. That was fun to watch, especially with as inconsistent as the Packers' pass rush has been this year, seeing them just consistently get pressure on Trubisky by just going straight through the offensive line was rewarding and enjoyable to watch. Finally, I like the kind of redemption narrative that springs out of this game. Preston Smith gets kind of the cheapy fumble touchdown, but it still counts. He has a nice sack. He did really well against the read option. Probably this was his best game of the season, and I think the key part there is asking him to do just a little bit less. Rashawn Gary played more snaps. I'm assuming that we're going to find that Rashawn Gary played more snaps. If not, it's going to be right there. But Smith had a lot, a little bit more of a defined role. Rushed the passer on third down, come in in third and short, and shut down the read option. That was pretty cool to see, and he did a great job of it. Second sort of redemptive arc we saw in this game is Darnell Savage. It's kind of an invisible man in the secondary. He hasn't made a ton of splash plays, really any. In fact, a couple times, I think, on this show, we've talked about how he and Kevin King are the big reasons that the Packers are way behind where they were in Ballhawks from last year. Neither of them has really made any plays on on the ball this year. But Savage made up for that tonight. Two interceptions, none of them like spectacular game-altering plays, but still, athletic plays. You had to catch the ball when that's thrown to you, and he did. He's the first Packers player with two interceptions in a game since HaHa Clinton Dix did it late in 2016. That game also happened to be against the Bears. Finally, Equinemius St. Brown goes for 39 yards receiving. That's the most he's had in a game since week 16 of 2018 against the Jets. He had 94 that day, just 39 in this one, but it's nice to see him get a little bit more involved in the offense. And yet, it's never really that pretty when he seems to be carrying the ball, but still, 39 yards, can't complain about that. The bad stuff, don't want to dwell on this too long, partly because this very first one is is depressing. Corey Lindsley's injury looked bad, and I expect that we will learn Monday or Tuesday that it is, in fact, pretty bad. Just walking him, watching him walk off the field was, was disheartening to see. I know it's part of the game, but it doesn't make it any easier to see that when it happens. He's been such a consistent presence in the middle of the Packers' offensive line. Um, and it's almost been kind of weirdly overshadowed this year by how good Elton Jenkins has been when he's come in in place of Lindsay, Lindsley. He's been very, very good. He's been just a rock for the Packers to build around in the center there for most of a decade now. And I hope this isn't the end for him. And in a game where you end up putting up 41 points, really the any, the only thing that can take the shine off it for you is an injury. And unfortunately, the Packers seem to have had a significant one in this game. The second thing that was kind of 
not maybe not bad, but definitely not positive, was the end of the first half. The Packers already seem to be in prevent defense mode there right at the end of the first half. And they allowed the Bears to score, not a, a score that really ultimately meant anything. But it was the way in which it happened that, that bothered me a little bit. Just off the top of your head, how many good pass catchers do the Chicago Bears have? It's one. The answer is one. It's Allen Robinson, right? And on that touchdown he scored to end the first half, and to a lesser extent the one he had late in the game too, it seems like the Packers were treating him just like any other guy, which befuddles me. If there's anybody who's going to make your day difficult on the Bears' offense, who's it going to be? It's going to be Allen Robinson, right? So why was he allowed to score in the ways that he did? Just almost seemed like they forgot to cover him. It's a small thing in the grand scheme of this game, because ultimately neither of those scores mattered. But being surprised by the obvious has been a consistent complaint we've had about Mike Pettin throughout this season. And again, it seemed like something that came up again tonight. Finally, and this is a small thing. I didn't get a chance to see if he addressed it after the game. But in a game where we saw Corey Lindsley head out via injury, in a game where the Packers came in with some questions about Devontae Adams and how healthy he is, despite getting a, a good report on the injury report, having questions about Marquez Valdez-Scantling and how healthy he is, seeing Aaron Rodgers essentially throw Alan Lazard into a big hit was very surprising because that is something he consciously tries to avoid. Does everything he can to avoid putting guys in that situation. It was it was surprising and I don't want to say disappointing, like I can actually be disappointed in Aaron Rodgers in any substantive way, but I guess it was disappointing to see. And uh, it was great that Lazard was cleared to return to the game um, and that he was not injured any worse than apparently just getting the wind knocked out of him from the looks of it. But still, that was an odd thing to see. Again, have to emphasize these are small things. I really think even even giving up 103 rushing yards to David Montgomery in the grand scheme of this game is not that big of a deal. He was not going to run them back into this game. It was going to be Mitchell Trubisky going bananas in the passing game and somehow making something happen there, and it just didn't didn't happen. I really want to try to downplay any complaints that I might have about this game because it's minor, just minor, minor stuff. So don't, just because I spent a couple minutes on it, on it there, don't think that I didn't have a great time with this game because it was a great time. Anytime you can beat the Bears and embarrass them on national television is, by definition, a good time. What does this game mean, though? First and foremost, as we always emphasize, this was a great example of the Packers taking care of business against the team that they should be. Now, we said in the pregame, the preview podcast, that the Packers should win this game. Even with the Bears' defense being what it was, the Packers were favored in this game for a reason. And boy, did they pay off that favor. They showed why they should have been favored over the Bears. There was never any doubt who the better team was here. And that's really encouraging to see. 
Because something that was really irritating about the Mike McCarthy era, especially at the later stages of it, were the Packers' tendency to play down to teams that they should beat. You could have seen in the late McCarthy era, the Sunday after Thanksgiving, playing the Bears, and it just ends up being way closer than it should be. And then you talk you, after the game, well, the Bears, you know, they had a pretty good defense. You know, maybe it's not that they've given a lot of teams a hard time, you know. This maybe isn't that big of a deal. But knowing in the back of your head that you should have handled them. No doubt about that here. The Packers took care of business. They beat the Bears, a team they should beat. They beat them badly. Secondly, the NFC North is all but locked up here. Packers have eight wins. With this, if this had gone a different way, the Packers would only have been what, a game ahead of the Bears in the last column? There, they would have been six and four or seven and four. The Bears would have been six and five. That's a lot more that's a lot closer than it should be at this point of the season. Fortunately, or fortunately, we don't have to talk about that at all, because the Bears fell on their faces and the Packers took care of business. Finally, and most importantly, the Packers are keeping pace for the race for the two seed and are within spitting distance of the one seed. Cross your fingers for the Eagles upsetting the Seahawks tomorrow night on Monday Night Football. Speaking of the Eagles, Packers host them next weekend at Lambeau Field, an afternoon kickoff, 325 if you are in the chosen time zone, the central time zone, 425 if you're unfortunate and like me and live in the eastern time zone. Can't win them all, I guess. Eagles so far this season are 3-6-1, and one. And again, they're playing the Seahawks on Monday Night Football. They are just behind the Washington football team in the NFC East coming into this weekend. I don't know if you've heard, but the NFC East is really, really bad. That's not to say the Eagles are bad, though there are some significant question marks there that we'll get to later in this week. But the division as a whole is not great. Finally, some random thoughts and observations about this game. Then we'll let you get on with your, well early Monday morning here. My most memorable play of this game came on a fourth and two play late or early in the second quarter. Robert Tanyan catches a short out route and finds himself squared up against Danny Trevathan near the sideline. Instead of just allowing himself to be escorted out of bounds, Tanyan, Tanyan, excuse me, uh, decides to take advantage of this opportunity to introduce himself to Danny Trevathan and gives him a tremendous stiff arm. That was very satisfying to see because, first and foremost, I think the Packers may have a little bit of a reputation, well-earned or not, as being a little bit of a soft team. That was not a soft move. He could have just stepped out of bounds. He decided not to. But secondly, if there's anybody who deserves a firm stiff arm right to the chest or neck or face or wherever, it's probably Danny Trevathan. Remember back a couple years ago to the terrible hit um, he had on Devontae Adams, knocked him out of that game. If anybody deserves to get stiff-armed, it's Danny Trevathan. I'll just leave it at that. We've had a bit of a polemic on this show against wide receiver screens. What if a wide receiver screen is not a wide receiver screen? Third and 20 in the third quarter, Matt LaFleur runs a wide receiver screen, but this time it's to Aaron Jones lined up as a wide receiver. 
It's almost like he's saying to me specifically, ah, it's a wide receiver screen, but it's not. You can't get mad at me for running wide receiver screens if you don't run them to a wide receiver. Still not a great play. What are you going to do on third and 20, though? Very, very small. Small complaint there. Speaking of small complaints, this is an irritating thing. And it's irritating because there's really no reason it it could be different right now. But with the Packers up two scores late, it seems like a prime opportunity to put Jordan Love in the game and get him some opportunities to play. But he is not active for good reason because the Packers don't think he's their best option should something happen to Aaron Rodgers. But it's frustrating that he can't be active just for situations like this. The game is out of hand. Just get him on the field and have him run the offense a little bit. He hasn't done that at the NFL level at all. No preseason games and hasn't been active for a game so far this year. Hasn't been on the field with a football uniform on for the Green Bay Packers this season. Yeah, I know they had a a preseason scrimmage and stuff like that. That doesn't count. Second irritating thing is that A.J. Dillon is still on the the COVID-19 reserve list. Again, nothing you can do anything about, but you just wish he would have been available for a game like this. Big bruising guy barreling up the middle against a Bears defense that apparently is vulnerable up front. And moreover, just not being active in the offense at all. Being on that list means that obviously he can't play, but it also means that he's not getting a chance to find any kind of a role within the Packers offense as a whole. And that was a complaint we had kind of about his situation in general heading towards the midway point of the season. He hadn't really found what he does in the Packers offense, and he just hasn't had that opportunity now for most of a month, and it may be longer than that. thought it was interesting that this was the first time this year that Marquez Valdez-Scantling did not have a target. I think there is still a use for MVS in this offense, and I'm betting that not having a target tonight was more of an injury thing than anything else. Personally, I've decided that I'm going to try to back Marquez Valdez-Scantling no matter what. He's going to be on the roster. He's going to be an adventure every time the ball's in the air and headed his direction. He is potentially going to be a big part of what the Packers do throughout the rest of the season. And it kind of feels like at this point, he's like a jump shooter who is not having a great year, but you still need him to shoot just because of what it opens up for everybody else. He's really... And I know about the efficiency numbers for Alan Lazard, but he's the only real deep threat on the Packers right now. He's the only real speed that they have at receiver. And yes, I've seen the advanced stats about Alan Lazard there too. It's a different kind of speed. You understand what I'm saying. They need him to be at least functional. And they need, I guess, to keep shooting his shot when he's out there. Keep throwing to him. Who knows what could happen? Maybe it's a 78-yard touchdown. Maybe he drops a third and four pass. You never know. But you got to keep throwing him the ball. Aaron Rodgers went over 50,000 yards tonight. You may be interested to know that he is still just over 11,000 yards behind Brett Favre. Brett Favre played 255 games with the Packers. Rodgers so far has played just 192. After tonight, Rodgers also has 397 passing touchdowns. Favre finished his Packers tenure with 442. Got some work to do. 
but he's within within reach there. Also of note, Devontae Adams passed 500 catches tonight. He's got a couple other guys within his sights. James Lofton is next. He's fourth on the Packers' all-time list with 530 catches. After him is Jordy Nelson with 550. Probably not going to get to Nelson, but Lofton is not an impossibility this year. After Nelson is Sterling Sharp with 595 catches, and then it's Dev- or, uh, Donald Driver with 700-some. He's he's uncatchable probably for Adams at this point. But I think there's a good chance that Devontae Adams is number two all-time for the Packers by the end of next season. Interesting to note that Sharp played 112 games for the Packers. Adams so far has played 96. He's going to be in pretty comparable game totals between the two of them um, when he gets close to passing Sterling Sharp. So keep an eye on that. That's probably a storyline that's going to come back to, that we're going to come back to at some point next year. We've been going for over 20 minutes here. Doesn't feel like we've said all that much about this game. That's kind of the game that it is. The Packers did well. They played well. They beat a team that they should beat. And most importantly, they stayed competitive in the race for playoff seating. That's what it's all about for the Packers at this point. NFC North seems to be locked up. They know who they are as a team. Just get the best seed you can in the playoffs and see what happens from there. If you want to hear more thoughts about this game, I also appeared on the Acme Packing Company's post-game podcast. Check that out. It should be in your podcast feed now. If uh, if you subscribe to that show, and you should. They're good guys and occasionally get to hear from me over there as well. Other than that, that's all I've got for you on this show. If you know somebody who would benefit from hearing this, go ahead and share it with them. I'd greatly appreciate that. It's going to help more people find the show and help us expand this conversation we're having around the Green Bay Packers. Ultimately, that's going to help more people become smarter Packers fans, including me. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We will see you next time on Blue 58.